If you're thinking about why top incomes are rising, particularly in the UK, you really have to think about what's happening to the composition of this group. How many people with very high incomes are arriving in the UK and at what time? Hi, I'm Clémentine Vanifontaire. I'm an assistant professor of economics at the University of Toronto, and this is Inequality Talks. Felix Koenig is an assistant professor of economics at Carnegie Mellon University, Heinz College. He received his PhD from the London School of Economics. His research projects study labor markets and income inequality. I asked him to talk about his recent work, which is part of a larger research program investigating inequality in the UK, conducted with Arun Advani, Lorenzo Pessina, and Andrew Summers. Their most recent study, called Importing Inequality, Immigration and the Top 1%, clearly challenges the view one might have about the relationship between immigration and inequality. Thank you very much, Felix, for being here today with me. Thanks for having me. So... In the past couple of years, there's been the prevalence in the public discourse in the UK of the idea that migrants are typically low-paid workers who are stealing jobs for native workers. And this conception is actually common in many Western countries. In your study, you actually focus on the presence of migrants at the top of the earning distributions. Why is it important? And uh, can you tell us more about this approach? Most of the literature on migration has so far focused on low-income uh, migrants because we don't have great data uh, at the top end. And um, one reason, or one sort of the history of this, is we didn't have data on the top end of the distribution at all because surveys are terrible at capturing top earners. Um, top earners don't like to answer, and we typically top-code uh, observations because for a number of reasons, privacy is one of them, other one is that we think that the people who report high incomes might just be lying. So the kind of people we capture in traditional data as top earners aren't really the kind of top earners in society. So there's been this massive advancement in, in recent years by Piketty and others who've used tax data to capture top income growth. And they've shown that this is kind of a key area um, that we've overlooked and it's been the area where wage growth has been quickest and there's been big public debate around this, um, the 99% versus the top 1% and why growth is exploding at the top. Um, the drawback of this approach is tax data has next to no information on the demographics of these people. So it's really difficult to figure out why, why top incomes grow, are growing and why they're growing quicker than, than elsewhere in the economy. Um, so what the step we're taking is we take this tax data, the data people have used to look at top earners, and add in demographic information. And the one area that we focus on in this paper is information on migrant status. So why focus on top earner migrants? Well, one is we want to know about top income growth. We want to understand to what extent these migrants can explain what's going on, why some countries like the UK have seen such fast top income growth. And also just because we think that top earners play a particular role in society. So um, first of all, they're a key source of tax revenues. Uh, top incomes are taxed at higher rates, so they produce a large share of uh, revenues. Secondly, we might think that um, top earners are the kind of category of people that drive growth and innovation. So there's been a big focus on top earners because um, we think that they might have some sort of 
productivity benefits to society. Um, taken together, um, we, we care about top earners, but we don't know much about them. So what this paper does is look at how many of them are migrants, and to what extent what's going on at the top is driven by migration. And I want to talk about the originality of your approach, because like you said, one challenge that researchers face when they want to investigate this question is whether the information of the country of birth is available in the tax data. What was your trick to overcome this issue in uh, using British data? Right. So in traditional tax data, you know, uh, you don't know whether someone was um, born or in the country or migrated. And that's also true in the UK. So one thing we noticed, though, is that if you are a UK citizen, um, you receive a social security identifier when you turn 16. So in most countries, there's something like a social security number. In the UK, this is called a national insurance number, NINO. Um, and that NINO, as a, as a local resident, you will receive at age 16. Um, whereas if you're a migrant, you have to apply for this number as soon as you arrive in the country or as soon as you start working. So the thing we noticed is the way the numbers are structured, they're more or less assigned in order. So that's to say, uh, in the early days of the system, you would have a number starting with something like AA, and then a year later it turns to AB, and then it becomes AC. So by looking at the, the structure of the number, we can figure out what year you got that number in. And then we take your birth year and we figure out whether you were 16. If you were 16, that's the typical way how you would get your national insurance number as a native. If you got your national insurance number at, say, age 34, we know that you weren't around the country when you were 16, and that's how we can identify who has arrived later in life. Can you tell us about some of the stylus facts that you identify uh, using this data set? So one of the key things that jump out at us is how important immigrants are at the top of the income distribution. If you look at the top 1%, these are the top 1% highest earners in the UK, around a quarter, so it's one in four people, was not, is not a UK-born uh, individual. That prevalence is even more important if you think about higher levels of income. So if you take an even smaller fractile, say the 0.1%, um, around 30% of those individuals are migrants. So if you're thinking about trends in top incomes, if you're thinking about um, why top incomes are rising, particularly in the UK, you really have to think about what's happening to the composition of this group. How many people with very high incomes are arriving in the UK and at what time? Um, so the first thing we document is that migrants are very prevalent. The second thing we document is that the prevalence has increased. So more immigrants with very high incomes have arrived in the UK since the late 90s. These people, their incomes account for roughly 25% of the top income share, so the top 1% income share, around a quarter of this is accounted for by migrants. If we now look at trends, the famous rise in top incomes, how much of that rise of top incomes is the arrival of new people? Well, you can do different exercises, but if you just start with a simple decomposition and you say, how much of this growth can be accounted for by the incomes of these new arriving immigrants? Um, well, our exercise shows that around 80%, so the vast majority of UK top income growth is down or can be explained or accounted for by the arrival of these immigrants. 
And one very interesting aspect of your study is that you can see the industry in which workers are employed. Which industries are the key contributors of the overrepresentation of migrants among top earners? Right, so finance is the absolute dominant industry. So we go a little bit into detail of who these people are to get a sense of why this arrival, this boom in high income migration is happening. What we find is it's primarily the result of the emergence of a global financial hub in London. So we have information on the industry that these people work in, and the location that these people work in. And what we see is that around a quarter of the top earners, top earner migrants, work in finance. So one in four of these high-income migrants are workers in the financial services industry. Now you might say, well, the financial industry is just very prevalent among top earners. It's one of the industries that pay top dollars. So is this really like outlandish? Is this really unusual for top earners? And the answer is yes. Um, we, we define something that we call the dependency ratio. That is what share of your very high income workers are from abroad and typically these kind of numbers get debated around sports teams in Europe that's typically soccer what share of players are from abroad um, and we we compute these numbers for all sorts of industries turns out in sports it's far lower than in finance so in finance the dependency ratio in the UK is 40% that's to say 40% um, of the top earners in the finance industry are um, migrants so the financial service hub in London plays a big role in, um, in, in creating, creating this demand for a high skilled or high income immigrants in the UK. La minute technique. In this podcast, researchers take one minute to explain one technical aspect of their paper. And in your article, you mentioned that there is a positive selection of migrants. What do you mean by that? And could you give us the intuition behind the decomposition you use to show that this is the case in the UK? We use a number of techniques to get an idea of, um, of the selection of the type of migrants that are arriving. The technique I'm going to describe is one developed by a few Canadian superstar economists, Dinardo Fortin and Lumieux in the, in the 90s. And they asked the question, what would inequality look like if unions, trade labor unions, weren't around? We kind of turn this question on its head. We, we use a similar question and ask, what would inequality look like if migrants were similar to natives in their labor markets? So what's the wage, what would the wage distribution look like if natives and migrants had similar wages? The idea here is we decompose the impact on inequality into two components. Component one is that immigrants might just be sorting or arriving in specific industries that are high paying as we just said, the finance industry. Um, and the second component that is conditional on being similar on observables, similar industries, similar ages, do they earn different wages? The way we do this is you want to figure out what is the wage that natives get paid in a specific category, and then what's the prevalence of natives and migrants. And then what you do is you take a native wage distribution for a given set of characteristics, so you figure out what the native wage is for someone in finance who's 28. And then you reweight that category depending on how much migrants are in that category and how much natives are in that category. And that gives you a counterfactual distribution 
income distribution. That is the wage distribution if migrants had similar incomes to natives. Well, the key question is what's the weight? How much weight do you need to give a specific category? Um, and the way to figure that out is you estimate the probability that migrants are in that category versus natives are in that category. And you reweight by how overrepresentative migrants are in that category. And then you get an inequality wage distribution that tells you what would inequality look like if migrants were like natives. You can then decompose the overall impact of migration on inequality into a component that is driven by immigrants being in different industries and age categories and a component that is because migrants for a given set of characteristics, for a given set of talent and skills, are paid different levels. And that latter part is what we call positively selected. And if we do that in composition, what we find is the vast majority of inequality is that migrants just earn more for very similar level of skills. So in that sense, migrants are positively selected. prevalence of migrants among top earners would likely affect the design of tax policies, especially given agglomeration externalities. And I would like you to maybe explain what you mean by that and how it affects uh, the design of policies. When you think about the rise of top incomes, the fact that top earners are capturing a growing share of incomes, the first policy that jumps to mind is taxes. We could remedy this possibly by increasing taxes on top earners. Um, now, the trade-off that economists usually think about is, well, if we increase these taxes, how much in efficiency term would we lose? How much output would we lose if we introduce these taxes? The first sort of naive takeaway from our results is might be that, well, these people are immigrants, so they might be very mobile. So if you put in taxes, they might all leave the country. We think things could be a little bit more subtle here, and that is because their human capital, their wage, depends very much on the location that they're in. So in the case of the Global Financial Services Hub, London, the outside option in other places is not that great. So in simple terms, if you are a financial sector worker in, at Barclays in London, you would never get paid a similar wage if you moved to Lisbon. So what you need to think about in terms of taxation is what is the outside option in other geographic and other tax jurisdictions? And how big your um, wage is going to be in a specific location relative to an other location depends on location-specific factors. And one of these factors is called agglomeration effects. So the agglomeration effect idea is that you are more productive because you're in an environment where you're surrounded by lots of other people that work in a similar industry. So in the financial services industry, London is center, a global hub, and your productivity is high in London because you're surrounded by lots of other people that do similar things. So you have the network, you meet people, you have the information flows that make it easier to be highly productive. If that's the case, if your productivity is linked to your location, tax changes will have relatively limited effects on migration because your outside option, your wage in a low tax jurisdiction would be vastly lower. The big question that the UK is right now addressing is to what extent are we at risk of losing something like London with policies that the government is pursuing? So in the context of the UK, that's the Brexit, 
how much does the access to global talent and the access to European financial services, how much does that impact the location of the financial hub? Do we lose London as a financial hub because of Brexit? Before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you if you had a particular recommendation for listeners of a book, a movie or something that inspired you, you would like to share. Two things to share. So one talking about top earners um, and the top of the distribution. I think a movie that's um, fun and tells you a little bit about how these people arrive is A Star is Born. That movie uh, with Lady Gaga talks about how new stars are born and what the factors are that lead people to have extreme incomes. And it's obviously a combination of luck and hard work and um, a number of other factors. And it also tells you a little bit about how money is not everything, that there are other factors that, uh, that could impact how rewarded a position is. The other thing I want to say is in this crisis time, it feels like you can just be overwhelmed by the amount of economics you're exposed to. I just try to switch off. So a book I found very helpful uh, to um, get my mind off economics is Otto Lenghi's Simple Cookbook. Uh, one of my favorite cookbooks. It's a great way of just getting out there, doing something else and then having free mind space to think more about economics. Thank you so much, Felix, for your time. You're very welcome. This was Inequality Talks, a podcast recorded by Clementine Van Effenter in Toronto. Music is by The Count. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for the next episode.